name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're just coming off the celebration of the Blessed Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord. And I want to begin today with the account of Moses' encounter with the Lord in the burning bush. From Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, we see this account. This event in many ways we can see as a type that would be fulfilled in the transfiguration. The main reason I tell you this narrative that we see in Exodus 3 and 4 is because it is in tune with the gospel message and what our Lord wants to show us today. And what we find in Exodus 3 and 4 is that Moses, then a shepherd, he's shepherding his sheep, and he brings his sheep to Mount Horeb, which would become known as the mountain of God. And there he sees the brilliance of a light. He sees the brilliance of a bush on fire up on the mountain, but the bush is not being burned by the fire. And Moses, when he sees this, he is drawn to come up to the mountain. And what happens when he comes up to the mountain? He stands there on holy ground, and God Almighty reveals himself to Moses. There you see the picture of the transfiguration as well. Come up to the mountain and receive the illumination of God. You see? And so Moses is up there and he is revealed. God reveals himself as the great I am. The most holy name of God. Yahweh. And it's then that God says to Moses. Moses, I have heard the cry of my people enslaved. And I'm sending you to be the deliverer of my people. And when you read this encounter of Moses with the Lord in the burning bush, there's one thing that becomes very clear very quickly after the Lord says, Moses, I'm choosing you to be my deliverer, and that is this. Moses is absolutely certain he cannot do the job. Moses and all of his inadequacies come out in a conversation with God when God chooses him to be the deliverer of his people. Moses knows rightly that he doesn't have within himself what is going to be necessary to deliver God's people from the mighty nation of Egypt. But I want you to listen to how Moses verbalizes his inadequacies and the response of God. And I'm only going to give you snippets of this, but you'll see it. Moses says to the Lord, Lord, who am I to do this? Who am I to do this? And God's response is very clear, Moses. I will go with you and I will be with you to accomplish the deliverance of my people. And then Moses says to the Lord, I am not eloquent. I'm a man of slow speech and I'm a man of a slow tongue. And you want me to be your mouthpiece? And the Lord says to him, Moses, I will be with your mouth and I will give you the words that you are to say. And then Moses says, yeah, but Lord, we don't do this at all. Right? Yeah, but Lord, they're not going to believe it coming from me. They're not going to believe my words. And now God changes the tune. He no longer answers Moses' inadequacy. Listen to what God does. He asks Moses a question. He says, Moses, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? And Moses says, I have the staff that I shepherd with. He said, Moses, cast that staff to the ground. 
So he casts it to the ground and it becomes a serpent. And then God says, Moses, pick it up by the tail. Now let me tell you, I have faith enough to throw a staff down on the ground, but I don't know that I have faith enough to pick up a snake by the tail. But Moses bent down and he picked up the snake by the tail and it became a staff again. My friends, so it would be that God would be the mouth of Moses and that staff, the only thing that Moses had to offer would be used for wonder after wonder after wonder for the deliverance of God's people back to himself. Let me share with you a similar story like this from 1 Kings in chapter 17. It's a story of the great prophet Elijah whose feast day we celebrated just a couple of Wednesdays ago. The great prophet Elijah is led to a town where he finds an extremely, extremely poor widow. And the widow has a son. And the widow in conversation with this great prophet Elijah says that her, she and her son, they have such little oil and very little flour that their plan, her plan was to go right back to her house and bake the small cake of bread that she could bake with what she had left. And then her son, she and her son would die. They literally had nothing else. Moses speaks to her and says, Woman, with what little you have, go and make a small bread cake for me. Then make one for you and your son. For the Lord God says the flour will not be used up nor will your oil run out. And she did so, knowing that she did not have near enough to do what Elijah was telling her to do. She did it. And no matter how much she baked and how much oil and flour she used, none of it ran out. And by that miracle, with her just simply offering the very little that she had, God multiplied it and sustained her life and the life of her son. We come to our Gospel reading today from the Gospel of St. Mark in chapter 8. And we have this account that falls very much in line with the two testimonies that I just shared with you from those two scriptures. It's the feeding of the thousands. Now we're told that Jesus had been with this multitude, literally thousands of people. He'd been with them for three days ministering to them. And we're told that He had compassion on the people because they stuck with him for three days receiving his teaching and his ministry, but they'd done so without food. And so he tells his disciples, I'm concerned about the people because they haven't eaten for three days. And the disciples' response is what my response would have been. What can we possibly do out here in the wilderness? We don't have near enough to feed them. Listen to Jesus' response. It's the same one that the great I Am asked Moses. Because he asked the disciples, what do you have? How many loaves of bread do you have? The disciples said, we have seven loaves and a few small fish. And so they gave all they had, the very little they had, knowing that what they had would not do the work justice. It would not fill the bellies of thousands. And we're told that Jesus had the multitude seated. And he took the gifts that were offered to him by his disciples. He took them, he blessed, and he broke the bread. And the thousands came and they received from the disciples the food that they needed. And their bellies were full. And not only that, after the thousands had eaten, there was plenty of food left over. In each of these three testimonies that you're hearing today, that we have in Scripture, 
It would be good for us to see what is absolutely common in all three of those stories. I'm going to mention to you four things because they pertain to our everyday life in Christ. The first is this. In each of those narratives, in each of those testimonies, we find people that are faced with an absolutely impossible situation. Moses, a shepherd, is charged with being the deliverer of God's people from bondage from this mighty nation of Egypt. The widow and her son were faced with starvation because they didn't have near enough to sustain their lives. And the disciples, they're faced with sustaining the lives in the wilderness of thousands of people with seven loaves of bread and a fish and a few fish. Secondly, in all three of these testimonies, all of those folks are faced with their own inadequacies and their absolute limitations, their inabilities to overcome the impossible situation that was staring them in the face. Moses, the widow, and the disciples knew very clearly that the very little that they had on themselves or with them would not do the impossible work. It was impossible to them based on that. Thirdly, in every story you heard, there is only one thing that Christ, that the great I Am, asked of each of them. What do you have? Not, what do you not have? Go find it, get it, so we can make this thing happen. All He asks every one of them is, what do you have? And this is such an important question for us to consider because it speaks volumes to us as to the desire and the will of God for every one of our lives. We have to see that question, what do you have, as an invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ to participate and to cooperate in the wonderful works of the kingdom of God in our own lives and on behalf of others. That's what the question is, an invitation. Jesus desires us to participate with his works of life and his bestowing life on all. And by the way, this has been the nature of God since the garden scene in paradise. When they're in paradise, God created man and he gave man rule to cooperate with God, to rule as God would rule. And through that cooperation, it was His design that by their cooperating with their insufficiencies because God was present in the garden with them, that they would become like Him. That they would be transformed. God is always inviting us to be part of overcoming the perceived impossible for His glory and for the transformation of our own lives. Fourthly and finally, in each of these impossible situations, when, and I stress when, Moses, the widow, and the disciples offered simply what they had and no more. God's perfect sufficiency overcame and completed whatever they lacked. And by their cooperation with God, that is His invitation and their offering to Him of only what they had, the wonder of heaven was complete for the glory of God, for the benefit of many in humanity, and for their own growth in faith in knowing Him all the more because they witnessed what Christ can do with the little that I have. Their faith blossomed. My friends, in Christ... This is some of the most precious news we have. In Christ, our inadequacies, 
our shortcomings, our frailties, our weaknesses are no longer to be that which defines us. They are no longer to be considered our identity, who we really are, how we really think about ourselves. Make no mistake, Christ knows all our weaknesses and inadequacies and insufficiencies. It's the very reason He brought all of those things in our humanity into Himself to join it to His divinity so that He might become the sufficiency in every one of our inadequacies as we are in Him and joined to Him. So that being joined to Him and only because of that union, we could have such an abundant experience in life beyond what we could ever imagine. You know, thinking about this, I remembered in my mind a day or two ago, an old song sung in worship in different Christian settings. I think it was written back somewhere in 1987. And some of you that come from some different places, you may even remember this song. The title of it was, I Will Change Your Name. And I didn't know it then, but the words to that song were the orthodox theology of theosis being spoken. Here are the words. As if God is speaking to us, I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, overcoming one, faithfulness, friend of God, one who seeks my face. How is it that we're lifted up to that most true identity being transformed by Christ? It's by a life of cooperating with God, offering Him only that which we have and can offer nothing more. A life of cooperating with God in that way over and over again. In this life, you and I are going to be constantly faced, and we already have been in many different ways, with grave and impossible situations that will cause us to absolutely shudder in the weakness of our humanity. And these situations, they will bring to the surface very quickly the realities of our limitations, our lack, and our frailties. We'll know them clear when faced with the impossible. We've got to begin to see these things through Christ's eyes as divine moments of divine opportunities. Because in those moments where we're faced with such things, Christ is in our midst in the fiery furnace. And He will ask us only one question. What do you have? What do you have? And if we'll take, offer Him the very little that we have as a cooperation with Him, He will take it. He will bless it. He will, manif he will manifest Himself in it and fill all that is lacking in us with Himself. And we'll experience Him. And by Him, we'll experience the wonders that He will do with the precious little that we've offered. And when we see what God can do with so little, and how He is our absolute all in all in this life, our faith will grow dynamically to what? To face the next impossible situation where our inadequacies will come to the surface, perhaps less than before. And He will ask us the same question. Impossible situations. Our humanity reels when we experience them. But here's the reality and the comfort. God has never known an impossible situation.
heaven. And through those impossible situations, He draws us to Himself so that we can participate in His heavenly works and our lives may never be the same again by that experience. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.